Welcome back to Fantasy OT. Today we're going to be ranking the top 25 running backs based on tier, assuming a 12-person PPR league. Starting things off with tier one, last year's RB1 overall, and the guy I think has a great chance to repeat, Austin Eckler. Eckler's coming off a fantastic season, having 18 total touchdowns, five through the air and 13 on the ground. I think he has a great chance to replicate those numbers, if not possibly improve on those numbers. He had 107 receptions last year. That would be number one receiving numbers on most teams. And to put that in perspective, the next closest running back was Christian McCaffrey with 85. So he really set the standard for what elite meant last year. The reason why I think he has a great chance to repeat is the fact that he still is running behind the ninth best O-line in the league. He's still Justin Herbert's favorite target. And he had the fifth most red zone targets last year overall. Having said all this, I know his numbers were probably skewed positively because Keenan Allen was hurt for a chunk of the year, and he really was the only running back on the roster with that level of talent. So he may take a small step back in terms of total number of receptions, but I can see him scoring the same amount of receiving touchdowns. Number two on our list, Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey really popped off once he got traded to the 49ers, and I really can see him continuing to build off the momentum he created last year. Like I just mentioned, he had 85 receptions, which would still probably be leading receiving numbers on most teams. He really benefits from being in a Kyle Shanahan run-heavy scheme. I think they're going to do whatever they can to get McCaffrey on the field in as many ways as possible, whether he's lining up in the slot, taking end arounds. We even saw him throwing passes last year, and I don't see that slowing down. Some of the concerns I have for this year are the O-line. They lost Mike McGlinchey, and if they didn't have Trent Williams, I think they'd be in some serious trouble. So I think you'll see a little bit more blocking from the tight ends to help out. But there might be some games where that becomes an issue. Another thing to keep in mind is the fact that McCaffrey does have somewhat of an injury history. And I can see the 49ers trying to protect their best asset whenever they have big leads or whenever there's an opportunity to give them a breather. Especially in a Kyle Shanahan offense where most running backs succeed. And they have plenty of capable ones. Also, let's not forget, Debo Samuel was hurt last year, which propped up McCaffrey's value a bit. Samuel's healthy now should regain the role he had from two years ago. I doubt he'll have a season like he did two years ago, but he'll definitely be in the mix and will steal some touches from McCaffrey. But overall, I wouldn't be too concerned. The 49ers still have the fifth easiest schedule. McCaffrey's their best playmaker, and they're not going to be bashful about using him. Draft him confidently at two. Up at number three, I think last year was a feel-good story for this guy, and everybody felt good for him, Saquon Barkley. I don't think anyone saw him finishing as the RB5 overall, but what a great story. After all he's been through with the injuries, having bad teams, bad coaches, he really prospered and was the engine for this team last year. And I think there's no doubt that's going to continue this year. Brian Dayball knows who his best player is, and he knows how to get him the ball. And he trusts him. Last year, Barkley was tied for the fifth most rushing attempts inside the five. And I think that's going to continue this year. Two concerns, of course, to keep in mind are health. Last year, Barkley was nursing a shoulder injury pretty much throughout the year. And of course, O-line play, they're supposed to have one of the bottom tier O-lines again. So Barkley may not be that efficient, but his volume should more than make up for it. I think he's a surefire RB1, and you should draft him with confidence as well. Up at number four, B. John Robinson. We all saw what this man did at Texas, and I think everyone's on the train right now. If it was four or five years ago, he would have been a top five pick. But of course, we all know the state of the running back. Times are tough. What's perfect for Robinson is that he got drafted into literally the perfect situation. The Falcons ran the ball more than anybody in the league last year, attempting to run 559 times. And I don't think Arthur Smith plans to slow down anytime soon. 
especially with a young quarterback in Desmond Ritter. He's going to do everything he can to protect him and take as much as he can off of his plate. It also helps that the Falcons have the second easiest schedule and should have a much improved O-line. I think Robinson is in for a great year, and I think he's going to get a lot more receiving work than people are anticipating. Draft him at four with confidence. Coming in at number five and second on our tier two list, Jonathan Taylor. Calling the situation between Taylor and the Colts right now sticky would be an understatement, but I think a lot of people have forgotten just how good this guy is. It was only two years ago where he led the league in rushing and scored a total of 20 touchdowns. One of the main reasons why I think Taylor and the Colts will figure things out is Anthony Richardson. They definitely want to take as much pressure as they can off of their young quarterback, which is one of the main reasons why I think Taylor's going to have a great year. They don't want to overwhelm Richardson. They want to use their best player, make Richardson feel good, give him easy plays. He already is a little bit raw coming out of college, and I think Taylor can do a lot to assist him in that area. Let's not also forget, Shane Steichen, the new coach, did wonders with Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders last year. He's definitely a run-first coach, and I don't think he's going to be shy about using Taylor, both in the pass game and in the run game. The Colts have the third easiest schedule, and while their O-line was a train wreck last year, I think they're still a top-10 O-line. They'll get it back together. They have Quinton Nelson. He's obviously the best in the league. I don't know what happened last year, but I think he gets back to form this year, and Taylor, if he's able to stay healthy, will start producing like he did two years ago. Also, unfortunately, Zach Moss, his backup broke his arm which will probably lead to increased usage for Taylor, at least until they sign someone. That's if they do. Up at number six, the man who we just can trust every year, Nick Chubb. Chubb's coming off of his best year in terms of carries, yards, and touchdowns. And I think that continues this year. We all kind of know his ceiling. He doesn't get much receiving work, but maybe that changes with Kareem Hunt out of town. He's had a top 12 finish overall in the last four seasons, and I don't see why that won't happen again this year. I'd expect both Cleveland and Deshaun Watson to improve drastically, only benefiting Chubb. Up at number seven, Derrick Henry, the unicorn. Doesn't matter how old he gets, how many attempts he gets, he just continues to produce. He's coming off a year where he led the league in attempts again with 349 and broken tackles with 35. And unfortunately, he's going to have to continue breaking tackles if he wants to produce like he has been. He's playing behind the worst O-line in the league. But I think that's not going to stop him. It hasn't before. What helps him is that the Titans finally got some help in the receiving game, which should hopefully take some attention away so that teams can't stack the box like they have been. You have to think teams are going to respect DeAndre Hopkins, even Chigaquanquo and Traylon Burks, opening things up for Henry a little bit. Henry's always a much better play in standard leagues, but last year he had his best year as a receiver, and maybe that's a sign of things to come. Up at number eight, a player I'm really high on. I was high on him last year, and I think he's going to repeat the success he had last year. Ramondre Stevenson. Ramondre Stevenson is a do-it-all back, and for a guy his size, he's incredibly efficient, averaging five yards a carry. Last year, he had 69 receptions and the fifth most broken tackles in the league with 24. He obviously seeks contact, and I think linebackers don't like tackling him because he inflicts more pain on them than they do on him. It also helps that the Patriots don't really have any depth. The guy who was supposed to back him up in Ty Montgomery got hurt again. Pierre Strong really isn't making any noise. And I think they may sign somebody else. They brought in a couple of guys like Zeke Elliott and Leonard Fournette for workouts, but they didn't sign either of them. And even if they do end up signing someone, I think Stevenson is still going to be the unquestioned workhorse this year. It also helps that they have a semi-decent offensive coordinator in Bill O'Brien. So at the very least, the play calling should improve. Coming in at number nine and finishing our tier two list, Tony Pollard. I don't think anybody would have seen Tony Pollard finishing as the RB8 last year. He set career highs across the board, and I think he's only going to build off of his last year. Now, the unquestioned workhorse in Dallas, 
He's been extremely efficient over his first four years, averaging 5.1 yards a carry. And while he did get injured at the end of the year last year with a high ankle sprain and a cracked fibula, before that, he really had a very minimal injury history. And he was used pretty sparingly. So he doesn't have that many miles on his body. Dallas is going to get a bunch of O-linemen back that were injured last year. And I do think they're going to figure things out with Zach Martin sooner rather than later. Pollard should be running behind one of the league's best run-blocking units sooner rather than later. Up at number 10 and topping our third tier, Josh Jacobs. To say Josh Jacobs had a sleeper season last year would be an understatement. I don't think anybody saw him finishing as the RB3 overall. I mean, this man was getting work in the Hall of Fame game last year. It looked like the writing was on the wall. And then, of course, he turned things around quickly. I think McDaniel's really stubborn, which hurts his case a bit. I mean, we saw Brandon Bolden getting meaningful work throughout the season last year. We saw Amir Abdullah sprinkled in. And we all know Jacobs doesn't really get that much receiving work. So I don't think he's going to repeat the success he had last year. But when he does figure out his contract situation with the Raiders, and I do believe he will, I think he's going to resume his first and second down workhorse role. The Raiders do have the second hardest schedule, which will make things a little bit difficult. And I also think with Jimmy Garoppolo at the helm, they're going to be dialing up a lot more screens and quick passes. So I think that's going to affect Jacobs as well. I would expect Zamir White to have a bigger role this year too. But Jacobs has earned the respect based on how he did last year. So drafting him at 10, I think is perfectly safe. Up at number 11, Brees Hall. There's no denying this man's talent. Only problem is you never really know how a player is going to be at their first year back from a major injury like his. A torn ACL and meniscus is no joke for a running back, especially one with his athleticism. You just don't know if he's going to be the same player. But of course, if there's anyone that can do it, I would imagine it would be Hall. And I think we've all heard that clip from Robert Sala at this point saying, he's clocking 23 miles an hour at practice. I don't know how true that is, but I do think he's probably pretty far along in his recovery to where he may very well start week one. I think preseason is going to be really critical. I think the Jets are going to use these games to determine whether or not they want to go and sign someone like a Dalvin Cook or move forward with a committee of the guys they've drafted or who they already have on their roster. Either way, if they sign Cook or if they use the guys on the roster, once Hall is up to speed, I don't think anyone's going to threaten his workload. He is absolutely the guy in New York, and I think he's going to be showing us and reminding us why he was drafted where he was. In my opinion, he very well may be the steal of the draft when it's all said and done. Up at number 12, Jameer Gibbs. I think the expectation is that he fills a DeAndre Swift role for the Lions. What benefits him the most is the fact that he's running behind a top five offensive line led by Taylor Decker. I think he's definitely going to splash right away. They're going to use him any way they can. We'll see him in the slot, running end arounds. I think there'll be two running back packages with David Montgomery, but they're going to get Gibbs on the field as much as they can. We saw what they did with Jamal Williams last year. And DeAndre Swift was obviously in and out of the lineup, but when he was on the field, he was his usual self. A big reason why I think the Lions drafted him so high is the fact that they wanted to improve in one area. They've been pretty subpar in terms of tackle breaking, and Gibbs had 104 broken tackles throughout his college career, both at Georgia Tech and at Alabama combined. And I think that's going to translate really well to the Lions' offensive scheme. Ben Johnson's not afraid to use his weapons, and I think Gibbs is going to be no different. He's going to be in the mix a ton. I think he's going to be an elite running back when it's all said and done, and he may end up making a push for Rookie of the Year. Next at 13, Travis Etienne. The Jaguars took a big step last year, and I think Etienne had a heavy hand in that. But I think a lot of his numbers were propped up by big runs. He was running behind the worst pass-blocking offensive line in the league, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. We saw him running into brick walls time and time again, especially near the red zone, and that makes me a little nervous. I don't think the Jaguars go out and draft Tank Bigsby unless they feel like they have a void they need to fill. 
considering how much of a workhorse ETN was last year, he probably should have had more than five touchdowns. And I do think he'll probably improve on that this year, but he can't be turning the ball over the way he was. He fumbled five times, putting three of them on the ground. If he keeps doing that, he's going to get benched in a hurry. And of course, with him, health is always a concern. Anytime a player misses a full season, I'm always worried that something may happen. I mean, it doesn't take much, one bad step, and you're out for a few weeks. So I'm always going to tread carefully with someone like that. But until further notice, he's still the RB1 in Duval. Up at number 14, Najee Harris. I was actually a little nervous putting him at 14. I think he's proven at this point that he's a solidified plotter, averaging 3.9 yards per carry over his first two years. And sure, he had a nagging foot injury last year, but even that really is an excuse because he ended up in line with his average from his rookie year. The Steelers are not great at pass blocking. It does help that they have the eighth easiest schedule, but I think Harris has made a career off of breaking tackles, and that's just not sustainable. If he wants to continue his spectacular 3.9 average, he's going to have to be breaking a lot more tackles this year. And I do expect the Steelers to get Jalen Warren involved a lot more. Of course, if you draft him at 14, you are guaranteed volume. There really isn't much besides Jalen Warren, who hasn't proven to stay healthy himself. So I think the volume will prop up Harris's value, and he'll probably get all of the red zone work. But I'm always nervous with a player like this. Last on our Tier 3 list, at number 15, Aaron Jones. I think Aaron Jones is still not getting the respect that he deserves. He had a top 10 finish last year, and I think he has one more left in him. He's easily the second best receiving threat behind Christian Watson on the team. And I think Matt LaFleur is going to do what he can to protect Jordan Love this year. I think there's going to be a lot more screens, quick passes, and all that's going to benefit Aaron Jones. I can totally see the Packers becoming a more run-heavy, balanced team this year. If you do draft Jones, I would highly recommend drafting A.J. Dillon. If one goes out, it pretty much is a 1A, 1B situation. Dylan took a little while to get going last year, but he's still a good safety blanket to have, especially with Jones's injury history. Topping Tier 4 at number 16, Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon enjoyed his best receiving year. He had 60 receptions and 441 yards, and I would hope that he can continue that success this year. Of course, the Bengals love to keep the ball in Joe Burrow's hand, and they traditionally don't like to run the ball all that much. So... When you do draft Mixon, keep that in mind. One thing that does really excite me about Joe Mixon is the fact that the Bengals signed Orlando Brown Jr. He may make them the most improved O-line in the league. And I think obviously he's going to be protecting Burrow, but he's going to create a lot of holes for Mixon. And I think with Samaje Piran out of town, Mixon should get even more work, especially with very little depth behind him. Mixon finished as the RB10 last year, so if you can get him as the RB16, obviously that's a great value. Up next at number 17, Cam Akers. Talk about a story of two tales. This man went from being one of the biggest busts living in the doghouse to being a league winner by the end of the year. I did not see that coming. Hopefully he can continue the positive side of things this year, and we see him on the field a lot more. McVay traditionally likes to just trust one guy. We've seen that with Todd Gurley and Daryl Henderson Jr. And hopefully Cam Akers has earned enough trust to stay on the field. The hope is that with Matt Stafford back and healthy, Cooper Cup hopefully healthy, I know he just tweaked his hamstring, hopefully that's not serious, is that that'll take away some of defensive attention and they can get back to being more balanced. The Rams do have one of the worst offensive lines in the league, but they kind of put it together towards the end of the year. Hopefully they can carry that momentum forward, at least for Akers' sake. It also helps that Akers doesn't have much behind him. His backup, Sonny Michelle, just retired, and I don't see them signing anybody by the time the season starts. Up at number 18, James Conner. I think James Conner has a real opportunity to be a three-down back. 
Of course, he's running behind the second worst offensive line in the league. It's terrible at pass blocking. So that's something to keep in mind. But with DeAndre Hopkins out of town, they're going to need someone to pick up the receiving slack. And I think Connor's going to be expected to do some of that. There's definitely going to be volume there. And in fantasy, that's what we want, opportunity. I think he's definitely going to get plenty of it. Jonathan Gannon is a defensive coordinator, traditionally coming from Philadelphia. So he's going to be defensive-minded. And most defensive-minded coaches like to control the clock and run the ball. And I think this is going to be no different. I can see the Cardinals going back to a conservative style of play. And I can see Connor being the biggest beneficiary if he can stay healthy. He's shown more than one time that he can easily beat his ADP. So he's kind of a high-risk, high-reward guy almost. But with the volume he's going to be getting and the fact that there's no one really behind him, I think he's set up for success, even on the Cardinals. Up at number 19, Damian Pierce. Pierce is playing behind a bottom 10 O-line, but the fact that he gets as much volume as he does really helps his case. Last year in the 13 games that he played, he got a whopping 74% of the carries. And that's probably why they signed Devin Singletary to alleviate some of that. But I think Pierce is too good not to be on the field. He does have some things he needs to work on, mostly pass blocking, not fumbling the ball. I think he had four fumbles and lost two. And I think as a receiver, if he can work on one of those things or all three of those things, he'll find his way into more playing time. What also helps is the fact that the Texans' new head coach, D'Amico Ryans, and offensive coordinator, Bobby Slowick, come from the 49ers, who run a run-heavy scheme. So I expect to see the Texans run the ball more than they have in the past. Pierce did have the fourth most broken tackles in the league last year, but he averaged 4.3 yards a carry, which is kind of middle of the pack. So if he wants to improve on that, he's going to have to continue breaking tackles. Up at number 20, Miles Sanders. Sanders is another player like Najee Harris who makes me nervous because he's only had one 1,000-yard season. And last year, half of his fantasy points were scored over four games, which is not the greatest boat of confidence. But I think the fact that the Panthers gave him a 40-year deal locks him into enough volume to warrant drafting him at the 20 spot. He's also going from the league's best O-line to one that was middle of the pack. So I think there's definitely going to be some regression pretty much across the board in yards, receptions, and touchdowns. And I think they're going to want him to protect Bryce Young as much as they can. And he hasn't always been the best pass protector. So that may impact his playing time. The Panthers still have Raheem Blackshear and Chuba Hubbard will definitely eat into his workload. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But I think given the volume that he's locked into, you kind of have to take him at this spot. He'll probably end up as a mid-tier RB2 when it's all said and done. Top in our fifth tier, a 21, Alexander Madison. Finally out of the shadows of Dalvin Cook, it's time to see what Madison can do. He's been everyone's favorite handcuff over the last few years. But I think it's a pretty good sign for him and for us, hopefully, if the Vikings felt confident enough to give him a two-year deal and let Cook walk. I think Madison has shown time and time again that he can step in and be a workhorse. Obviously, he's had some games that were a little bit down, but for the most part, he's filled in pretty admirably. He really doesn't have a backup, so I think at the very least, he's locked into a heavy volume to start the year. And in fantasy, that's what we care about, heavy volume. It's not so much about what they do in real life, it's about what opportunities they get. So in the case of Madison, he's not great at any one thing, and it may not be so much about ability. It may come down to opportunity, and he's going to get plenty of it. Ultimately, I think he'll live up to the billing and he will prove to be a solid, consistent RB2. I just don't see him push for that low-end RB1 numbers unless he gets an insane amount of volume. But in the Vikings offense, that's pass first and high octane. I can see him not being needed as much as we think. So draft him, but be a little leery when you do. Up at number 22, David Montgomery. Montgomery's going from being the starter in Chicago to being second fiddle in Detroit. 
but he's also getting a much upgraded offensive line, like I mentioned before with Jameer Gibbs. He's going to be playing behind a top five offensive line, and he's also going to kind of be filling the role of Jamal Williams, who led the league with 17 rushing touchdowns last year. I don't think it'll be one for one, but I do think that there's a very good chance Montgomery has his best year as a pro. He's been a plotter up until this point, averaging 3.9 yards per carry, and a lot of that was propped up due to volume. And I would think this year, he's going to get more receiving work than people are anticipating. He's always been a decent pass catcher, good at pass blocking, but when it comes to running in between the tackles, he hasn't been the greatest. But in the Lions scheme, that doesn't matter. When they're inside the five, they don't play games. They like to run the ball and be conservative. Ben Johnson is still there. Dan Campbell's still the head coach. And as long as they are, they're going to lean heavy on the running game. And even with Gibbs in the mix, the Lions do have the 11th easiest schedule. So I can see there being opportunity for both of them getting work. And I think the Lions are planning to have a lot of two running back packages. So it wouldn't surprise me to see both of them on the field at the same time. Up at number 23, there's probably a decent argument that he should be higher, but I'm always leery of players who get injured in training camp. It always seems to carry over to the regular season. And it's also really strange to me that Seattle Seahawks drafted Zach Charbonnet. I figured when they let Penny walk, that was pretty much the green light for Walker to be the guy, but clearly they want more depth. And they used a pretty high pick on Charbonnet, so I don't think he's going to not get work. He'll be in the mix. And as of right now, he's the only healthy running back on the roster. Obviously, when you can go for 1,000 yards in just 15 games, that's nothing to be overlooked. But I think Walker is an undeniable talent. I just need to see it another time before I give him a boat of confidence. I do think ultimately, if he's healthy, he'll be spectacular. I just don't know how healthy he is. And I think another thing that concerns me a bit is the fact that it seems like Pete Carroll's finally moving into a different direction. They drafted Jackson Smith and Jigba. It sounds like Geno Smith is kind of the real deal based off of last year. They gave him an extension. So it wouldn't surprise me if they moved to a more pass-heavy scheme. I think they'll still run the ball a ton, but at the end of the day, they're not going to run the ball with guys like DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Smith and Jigba. Ultimately, the Seahawks have the 10th easiest schedule, so they will find themselves in a lot of good game scripts. And I think if Walker can stay healthy, he could easily beat 23 and end up with a top 15 finish. Next up at 24, J.K. Dobbins. Dobbins is finally two years removed from that catastrophic knee injury that happened in the preseason. But what complicates things is that he's now holding in for a new contract. And I think that'd be understandable if we had a bigger sample size, but he just hasn't played enough to warrant doing that. And I think that's also why the Ravens signed Melvin Gordon and kept Gus Edwards around for insurance. Although I do think Edwards was locked into a pretty sizable role anyway, so it should be interesting to see how it plays out. Also, the one big thing that concerns me is the fact that Greg Robin is gone. Roman was probably the league's most run-heavy coordinator. Munkin is definitely more focused on the pass. The Ravens have invested a lot more in the pass with Zay Flowers, Rashad Bateman, and bringing in Odell Beckham, and also paying Lamar. So I think they're going to see how that works out for them. So I think they're probably going to run the ball a bunch, but they're going to be running it less than they have been in the past. What also doesn't help Dobbins is the fact that he really doesn't get much receiving work. He's an in-between-the-tackle runner, and he's pretty efficient, but that's a lot to be relying on. I would draft him, but I wouldn't keep my expectations too high. Rounding out our list at 25, Rashad White. Rashad White just made the cut because he's pretty much the unquestioned back in Tampa Bay. He played every game last season, starting the last eight, and if he can clean up the fumbles, he had three last year, he has legitimate three-down upside. If he can overcome mediocre offensive play and an unknown quarterback situation, he could find himself locked into some serious volume. The Buccaneers don't have much behind him, and I think they plan to see what they have in their second-year stud. In my mind, he's locked into third-down work and all of the red zone work, 
So his ceiling is pretty intriguing. I think you could do a lot worse if you're getting him as the RB25. That does it for me. Those are my rankings for the top 25 running backs. Of course, things are subject to change with contract situations, injuries, trades. But as of now, that's how I see it. If you can, please subscribe and leave your thoughts in the comments below.